Hey everyone, it's Peter Rosenberg from Cheap Heat. Join me and the fearless, physically large stat guy, Greg, and of course, Super Agent 35 under 35, Dipperstein, as we tackle the biggest stories in pro wrestling each and every week. To hear us, follow the Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to Dual Threat. I'm Nora Princiati. And I'm a very warm and toasty Steve Lewis. Yeah, it is cozy on this pod. Maybe not so much in Kansas City, uh, but we are having a toasty and warm start to Super Wild Card Weekend over here in our various dual threat offices. Uh, It is Saturday night. The Chiefs just routed the Dolphins earlier today. The Texans did the same against the Browns. Those are the first two wildcard games of this weekend. We're going to break them down. We will, of course, be back tomorrow night to talk about those games. But let's start with what we just watched. Uh, The Chiefs beat the Dolphins 26 to 7. Kansas City advances. They will play the Bills in the divisional round if Buffalo wins on Monday. Since that game, Bills Steelers was moved to Monday because of the weather in upstate New York. If the Steelers win that game, then the Ravens get the Steelers and Texans Chiefs is the other AFC divisional round matchup. Uh, I don't know, Stephen, if you heard, it was very cold in Kansas City for this game. It was a uh, frigid temps, wind chills in the negative 20s. Uh, were you made aware of this this meteorological development? Yeah, yeah, throughout the week. I This is the most I've ever heard about Kansas City's weather. And I mean, to be honest, I, I feel like all of the time we spent talking about the cold and how it might affect one certain quarterback in the game, like it was worth talking about that because that's what it, it felt like. It felt like one team could throw the ball normally they could call all their normal pass plays they could they didn't have to change their offense and i'm talking about the chiefs with mahomes and then one a, a, another team it felt like their whole identity almost shifted there were there weren't any throws downfield really outside of the the ball that i would say was underthrown for the touchdown to tyreek hill by by tua but in the middle of the field 10 to 25 air yards in between the numbers, that's the f- the part of the field that Miami dominated throughout the year. Tua had 88 total EPA in that area. He attempted two passes to that, that part of the field tonight for minus 2.5 EPA. One interception and then one completion. 
but only two attempts into that area. Like when you take that area away from the Dolphins, the offense just isn't what we we expect from them. And we saw that tonight. You just you just ran with that into the Dolphins almost got shut out were it not for one That's right. underthrown pass that that Tyreek Hill turned into a touchdown. I was like ready to talk about the Andy Reid's snot stash sickle and <laughs> the exploding beer cans. And Steven was like, no, let's get down to business. The Dolphins got creamed offensively, uh, but they did. I mean, they absolutely did. Uh, and I think this was the type of environment where it's fair to some degree to be affected, obviously, by the conditions. But it didn't really seem like it was just the weather, right? It's it's some of the same issues that have, have plagued Miami, where once that, you know, borrowing that Ben Solak phrase that we've we've adopted once the grain of sand gets in the gears there, it all falls apart. And that was even despite the fact that, you know, Tua had plenty of time to throw and it wasn't as though the Spags pressure just absolutely demolished him in his face. I mean, some, some piece of the cold conditions makes it very hard on a pass rush to get off. So uh, the Dolphins really struggled offensively, obviously, but it wasn't quite in the exact way that we thought it could. What did you think about the the Spags versus Tua dynamic and how it played into this really brutal loss? Oh, yeah. Like going into the game, I think we all thought he was going to try to like bully him and like we were going to see a bunch of cover zero and a bunch of blitzes and, and put two under pressure, make him throw quickly. And that's not what we saw. I think at one point on the broadcast, they said it was the highest time to throw for Tua all season long. It was up over like 2.7, which is crazy for Tua. Tua is usually down around 2.2, 2.3. And then we didn't see a uh, one rep of cover zero in the first half from Spags. He did dial it up a couple times in the second half, a couple, I think it was three times. I think the, the approach was we're not going to show them our cards in the first half and let them make adjustments throughout the game and find answers for cover zero. Because if Mike McDaniel finds answers for cover zero with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill out there, presumably with, with a quarterback who can throw downfield, like you're, you're giving up six every time. And right. I felt like throughout the first half, he never really had to tip his hand. He never had to show like his pass down calls because they were – in third and extra long. It wasn't third and seven. It was third and 13 instead. And instead you get a screen pass instead of like a real pass call. So I thought the game script worked in his favor and I thought he took advantage of it. And the blisses he did call worked every time. What did you think? Did you think Mike McDaniel could have done anything more than he did? Obviously there's some, some limitations that we're talking about with the quarterback limitations, given the conditions. I did feel like later on in this game, you know, they're down multiple scores they're still huddling and they're throwing yeah. the ball behind the line of scrimmage on fourth and 16. And it, it didn't always feel like there was an awareness, first of all, just of the game situation, but two, it, it never felt like there was that moment where he just went, well, fuck it. Let's, let's try to make something happen. What did you think about McDaniel in this game? It's always hard to say, like watching from the broadcast, but like I was tracking the next gen dots cause they have it on the, the, the site during playoff games. And there were some dots open downfield. I, I will say that. And I thought Tua took some some underneath throws before he had to, including the fourth and 16 play. Like there were two downfield routes for Hill 
and Waddle on that play. Okay, so he and just he, opted not to. And he throws underneath, like, within seconds. It, it looked like, like, I don't blame you for assuming it was, like, almost a screen pass because that's what it looked like with the timing. It, the ball came out, like, in 2.2 seconds, which it wasn't a blitz. It was Tampa, too. Like, they were dropping in a deep zone. I don't know why you're throwing underneath. And the guy got yeah. tackled, like, right away. It was a terrible decision by the quarterback, but that was not a design call by McDaniel. And I, I feel like that was a theme throughout the night is there were guys open. And I, I think the plan from Spags was to force Tua to make those throws that we, that he's made throughout his career, throughout the last two years, those throws in between the voids in the zone, like two linebackers. And we've seen him make those throughout, but like on this night where like, we know Tua doesn't have the best arm to begin with, but on, tonight it seemed like his arm was almost unviable tonight. Like it was, he couldn't throw downfield, couldn't put zip on the ball downfield and I think Spags was content to let him try to test those windows and see what happens. And he never really did. Like all of the completions downfield were like those outbreakers that seemed like they were in the air for five, 10 seconds at times. Yeah. Where they're where the receivers are catching it on the sideline and taking a hit from a safety. And like we saw a bunch of other throws short when he was throwing at the line of scrimmage where the Chiefs defenders were just triggering on it and like hitting guys behind the line of scrimmage really hard. Like Tyreek at the end of the game, took a big hit that he didn't need to take. So, I mean, what were the options for McDaniel? You can't throw short to the flat. You can't throw deep. He's not testing windows over the middle. Like, there were only so many parts on the field. Right. Run game wasn't working either. It's You just run like, out of options. Yeah. At one point, it, like, Tua literally threw it into the stands. Like, maybe that was a, a call by McDaniel. He's like, okay, it's not working if we throw <laughs> anywhere else. Throw it into the stands. So, look. Uh, we should talk about the Chiefs. They won this game. They're still alive in the playoffs. This is going to be an interesting game in terms of where Miami goes from here because this was a positive season in a lot of ways. Uh, McDaniels' offense, at least for a time, was doing really cool stuff, and I think there's still a lot of belief in him as, as a head coach and he's just what he's done schematically. That's all really valid and, and exciting for Miami. There's an infrastructure of a team there and a lot of lot of great players. But you do have this year where the Cowboys were the only, you know, real playoff caliber team that they looked good against. And you go out with this game where the quarterback looks non-viable. And two is owed 23 million next year on his fifth year option would be a free agent after that. I mean, what do you do? Because if there's not a decision to be made on on the the fifth year option anymore, they picked that up, obviously, but you got to start thinking towards the future here. This is obviously a quarterback who, at least in terms of how they've opted to behave publicly, the Dolphins have done nothing but express their belief in. But it's it. I, I do think that especially coming off of this game, but even before it, a rational decision maker has to be thinking about other options. So what, what would you do if you were in Miami? Like I think over the first two years of this uh, partnership, it's hard to blame McDaniels for too much. Like, obviously, he's had his own mistakes. He's a young coach. He's had game management mistakes. He, I think he kind of blew the Titans game. But you've given him, him him a pass because the offense is designed so well. And we do see two as limitations, and they've obviously worked around those. After this year, though, I, like, assuming they keep Tua and they continue with this partnership and it looks the same, I'm not giving him a pass because he made his bet at that point. I think he needs to want more for himself. Like he needs to look for a quarterback who can do the things that Matthew Stafford did for Sean McVay. 
That's such an interesting way to look at it, because one thing McDaniels has highlighted as part of his philosophy of connecting with players is like, I'm a spindly guy. Like I never played in the NFL. There's never any way that I was going to do that. I have to prove to everyone that I can make them better and that I that my coaching is going to to help them perform and can make them look good. And then that's how they're going to respect me because they're not going to respect me because I'm some you know, big hulking Mike Rabel dude who played linebacker in the league. And I wonder if there's a kernel of that philosophy where you're sort of not allowed to be like, this guy's bad. And like, this guy doesn't have it because your, your chosen tactic for how you connect with your players is I'm going to take whatever you have, which is better than I could have ever, you know, I could have ever offered a football team and I'm going to get the most out of it. And I wonder if like that, it, I think I'm playing armchair psychologist a little bit with that. And obviously no, sure. he got there. It was Tua. Tua was there and he had to to do with it what do with Tua what he could. Um, but it, it just raises an interesting point about like, can he recognize and can he have the ego as a head coach to be yeah. like, no, 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 no. You got to get me someone better. Like when you listen to the play callers podcast from the offseason by Jordan Rodriguez from the athletic, like he was the one coach that I felt like wasn't like smelling his own farts on the podcast. He was the one that was like, what, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, we're just calling Thank plays. Thank you for that, Steven. Sorry. The players are the ones that that do this. But no, man, I think you need to like have some more respect for yourself. Like <laughs> he needs a little more ego. Up. And I think it's fair to, for you to play armchair psychologist because I feel like Mike McDaniel's thing is kind of like pseudo psychology like especially with Tua is such like building him up and like giving him the confidence to play the way he plays which is totally different from how he played under Brian Flores and I think it it required a lot of confidence not only in himself and in Mike McDaniel in the system but like I don't even think it's a question at this point like I don't think this is this like a thing where we have to debate about it like with trying to think of like a good example like Kirk Cousins in Washington at the end where there was a question of if he was the guy or not like he put up Mm -hmm. the stats but in the big games he never played well and ultimately like Washington was kind of proven right over the long haul like Kirk obviously was better than anything they had but he never won anything in Minnesota I I just think you can't afford to make that mistake we have so many of these like examples throughout and and also like look Kirk had he said Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, but like Kirk didn't have this offense in Washington, certainly. No, no, but he had a decent offense, but it Which wasn't Which is not like to it. make the argument that he would have won something with it, but it is to make the argument right. that you don't want to miss out on what this group of skill position guys could do with a quarterback who can maximize them. Like it, it would have felt worse for Los Angeles to have never traded Jared Goff considering what that team looked like compared to Washington, which was probably like, maybe they would have went to like an NFC championship with a better quarterback, but they weren't winning a Super Bowl. to your point. But I just think he needs to want more for himself. And every time we get to these big games and we have these podcasts after it's the same conversation, like it doesn't change. Like, how are we so able to predict the outcomes of these games every time? Like Dolphins fans could say we're hating on Tua. They could say like we we underrate him and that uh, I don't know we fall in love with like the arm strength guys like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen and accuracy and timing is what matters and what wins games. Then why doesn't he ever win big games? Why do we have the same conversation after every big game? Why is it always the same like strategy that disrupts this offense? You take away the middle of the field, make him throw outbreakers, and he can't do it. He can't throw outside the numbers. Like it's the same conversation every time and. 
if unless Miami wants to keep having these conversations for the next three to five years, like I think this is the offseason where they need to make moves. Because if they wait another offseason, the price is just going to go up. And then you're going to have right. to trade a first round pick to get your Matthew Stafford. I mean, okay, so then let's let's ask the question. I think we've asked it before, but let's ask it now with the information we have. Who's who's the Stafford to Mike McDaniels is Sean McVay? It's Geno Smith. From so- South Florida, Miami boy. Okay. He can he can make those throws downfield way better than Tua can. He's a way better downfield passer. He, Tyreek Hill won't have to come back to the ball if Geno yep. Smith's throwing it. Yep. Like I like he did it. tonight. I it's like Gino it. Smith. I, that and you know what? The Pete Carroll move in, in Seattle, I think, if anything, yeah. makes that more possible. And you know, the the finances even to do that, it, it's complicated because you don't know if how okay is Tua willing to be the backup. Can you do that in a clean way? Is it better to see if somebody wants to trade for him, see if you can make the money work, whatever? They could make Gino and Tua work if they absolutely had to. Now that's messy, but twenty-three million for a quarterback on a fifth-year option on a rookie rookie contract. That's at a certain point, that's, you know, that's a dead cap hit for Carson Wentz. Like you you can live with that. I think that would be yeah. really interesting. All right, let's talk about the Chiefs because they actually won this game. Wait, I thought I won the game. I thought we won the game as as, as two <laughs> questioners. We won the game, not not that. No, I'm joking. Um, so it was cold, and I I actually to still talk about the Dolphins for one more minute defensively. I, I saw that there was this whole conversation going on out, online about like how da- you know how dare you blitz Mahomes mm-hmm. and. They did blitz really aggressively. Uh, they used cover zero on 18 dropbacks, which was the second most in a game since 2018. And actually, Mahomes did not perform no. well on those plays at all. So first of all, it was more effective than I think there was credit given for. But also, this is a team that went into this game without their top three pass rushers. I mean, at a certain point, you cannot get like they were not going to be able to pressure him with four. And I think Vic Fangio just sort of understood that he had to roll the dice. Now, look, it didn't. It didn't work out. And sometimes it doesn't work out. But right, yeah. I, I I don't blame them for taking that tack because I just don't know what else they really could have could have done. And now it's especially hard to try to play such a pressure game in the cold weather, which as we talked about, it slows down the pass rush. And they really didn't make the negative plays that you're hoping you you get out of that strategy. But again, like you you kind of at a certain point just have to roll the dice. So I don't really blame Vic Fangio for adopting that strategy because I just don't know what else they could have done. But Mahomes is Mahomes. And though he did actually struggle against a lot of the cover zero, uh, he just finds a way. I mean... Yeah. They started adopting the underneath stuff. Your guy Rishi Rice had a big game, 130 yards. Uh, Mahomes was running with the ball when he needed to. They just they struggled in the red zone to some degree, but this this was such a comfortable, I mean, in control performance. And I know they're more accustomed to the elements than Miami is, but it's it's still impressive to see them go get it done. 
Yeah, to your point, uh, Mahomes versus cover zero, seven for 18, 74 yards, a 51.6 passer rating, 4.1 yards per attempt. Like, that was the best part of the play. Yeah, that's not, and with his edge rushers out, like, that was the plan that made the most sense, and it was the part of the plan that worked the best. I thought if Fangio deserves any criticism, it's how they defended the run. I thought they played, their their fronts were, were a little too light for my liking against Isaiah Pacheco, but, I mean... When Mahomes is playing this well, and I know the stats don't look all that great. I think it's like passer rating was like 80. Uh, it's hard to beat him, though, especially when you don't have answers schematically. Like they couldn't rush with four. Like he had all day to throw when they did. Even when he blitzed, I, I thought he found answers still, and they just like barely missed on those throws. So that it could have been a lot worse, but I don't think Fangio's to blame. I just think this was like a masterclass from Mahomes. At the same time, it was an un orthodox game plan so i don't know if like the chief's resurgence angle for the offense is really like accurate when you say unorthodox you're just talking about how they approached it because of of the conditions and this is just a weird game. and the cover zero like you don't blitz pat mahomes like this like they're not going to get right. this game plan again they're not going to see this again i think like other teams are going to make it harder on the receivers they're not going to force them to like are they're not going to leave them one-on-one on an island so well, also they're going to score more than seven points, like that too. <laughs> that too. It's an inter- like it's an interesting look. This is a game that you know it was one of the coldest games in NFL history. It, it, lots of stuff about this just doesn't happen that often, so it's interesting to talk about. At no point was this game a contest. No. Like even when the score wasn't wasn't that bad. And I mean, twenty six to seven. That's sort of blowout, but like it, it's not insurmountable for a team that's moving the ball, but the, the Dolphins were not moving the ball. They had one drive of two plays. Yeah, this is easy, easy to say right now, but it felt over like the moment the Chiefs went down the field on the opening score and, and it scored a touchdown with like no resistance. And then the Dolphins answer with a drive that where they did nothing. It felt over then, like, like we said earlier, it felt like they couldn't throw the ball downfield. So I don't know how you win a football game like that. And it's unlikely that Kansas City is going to get that uh, further on in the playoffs. They did. You know, there were some of the the same old mistakes. There were a few drops. Again, I'm sure that football felt like a hockey puck, but we've seen it so much from them that it feels notable in that way. Um, there were some penalties. You know, Jawan Taylor got called again. Andy Reid had a couple sort of Andy, Andy Reid senior moments, like calling the, the timeout just to challenge. We're picking nits, obviously, but... It does. I don't know that much about this game changed my outlook on the Chiefs. They have some of the same weaknesses. They certainly have the same strengths, which are a very capable defense and Patrick Mahomes, who can just make stuff happen when he needs to. Uh, but in general, I think we kind of know who who they are. And it was a little bit more dramatic on the offensive side of the ball for Miami than I thought, I guess, but this game sort of went how it was predicted to go. Yeah, and uh, like Kansas City, the the offense they're facing next week, assuming it's Buffalo and Buffalo takes care of business on Monday, quarterback's going to present a different challenge. Right. Might be cold again, though. Yeah, I don't think that's going to bother Allen as much as it did uh, to it, though. There was a... so. Alex Earl, who's an influencer who is dating Braxton Berrios. I saw this video 
that she posted this morning, just talking about how she spent her entire morning texting Braxton Berrios articles about frostbite, just like one after the other. And I was like, I can't imagine that's helpful. No, not at all. All right. Shall we move on to Texans Browns? All right, let's take a quick break first, and then we will come back with that. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back to Dual Threat. So earlier in the day, the Texans uh, put on an even more dominant showing than the Chiefs. They beat the Browns 45 to 14. There was a moment in the first quarter of this game when both teams came out and they were trading touchdowns and everyone had their little Twitter fingers out going, instant classic, this game is going to be the best game of all time. Uh, And then the Browns did not score again. Uh, and the Texans absolutely ran away with this game. I mean, first takeaway here is just that this is an incredible turnaround for Houston. It, it, it starts with CJ Stroud, who becomes the youngest quarterback ever to win a playoff game. And when we think back to this team winning three games last season, one of which they were like openly mocked, including by me for, for winning, And hiring a new head coach where the narrative was, I mean, there have been two one and done coaches here. Who's going to want that job? Oh, geez. Like, Tomiko, is it going to be okay? They got the right quarterback, maybe by by luck of the draw, right, for not having the, the first overall pick, but whatever. They wound up with the right guy and hit their other picks and have just have have reshaped this roster in such a short amount of time. And, you know, to to see 
that get to this point, right? Where it's not just like, oh, nice little season you had there. It's a 45 point playoff win and a potentially, you know, interesting conversation about where they might go from here. It's just one of the most, one of the fastest and most sort of like emphatic turnarounds by a team that a year ago really felt helpless. And I mean, let's talk about CJ Stroud, because if there's one person, you know, Tamika Ryan said after the game, like it's, it's because of CJ Stroud, he has, has brought us here. What did you see from him in this, this route? I mean, he made the throws downfield that he had to make. Uh, This is like the opposite conversation that you're having about the Dolphins. Like you have your quarterback, you know what, if you design the right game plan, he's going to be able to execute. And I think Bobby Sloak was a star today, the offensive coordinator. If yeah. Ryan's is a loser in any way today, it's he's losing that offensive coordinator. The, his only right. chance of keeping him is that we have a bunch of big names in the coaching cycle and maybe he'll have to wait a year. And if they if if he does have to wait a year and Houston gets him back next year, sky's the limit for this offense, especially when it's healthy and Tank Dell comes back. But I, I thought this was really about Houston's coaching staff, the, those, the offensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, and then C.J. Stroud making the throws. He made a couple throws downfield. I know he had some misses. He had like the Nico Collins miss. He had another miss, but like every other throw under pressure off his back foot, a couple fadeaway balls, uh, quick decisions against that pass rush. You never heard Miles Garrett's name unless they were showing like a highlight package never. for Tunsil yeah. in the pass pro. Uh, you didn't hear Zay Smith's name. They combined for three pressures on the day. Total. Laramie Tunsil against uh, Miles Garrett, 12 reps, one pressure allowed. All one-on-ones, no no help needed. So they took out everything from, from Cleveland. I know there were some early hiccups with the defense. They were playing a little bit of single high, a little bit too much for my liking. And I think that gave them some opportunities downfield. We saw some explosives from Cleveland like in the first game. But after that, they go to too high, and that was the end. That forced uh, Flacco to throw underneath, and then he messed up, threw a couple picks, game over. That second pick, that, that was the moment. I actually disagree with this. To make make your case, but I disagree with with that was the moment. Play the sound, Isaiah. I need the sound. I need the sound that everyone heard after that uh, that moment. That's the PS5 bleeping sound. That's when everyone knew the game was over and you could turn your <laughs> PS5 on. It was it, like there was no chance Flacco was coming back. And I, I felt like we got two PS5 bleeps game bleep games today, which I didn't appreciate. We were really hyped about this wild card slate. And I got to say, through one day, not living up to the hype, feel like the, both games could have been on Peacock. So can I tell you when the sound really should have been played? It was when it was when the ref didn't call the defensive pass interference yeah. on the throw to David Njoku in the second quarter. Underthrown, like not catchable ball, but clear pass interference <laughs> didn't get called. That's, I mean, that's the clock striking midnight for Joe Flacco. Yes. They never scored again. Like it it was over. It's just, that's not, it's not his time. If the DPI is not called, it is not Joe Flacco's time. Like the bell is tolling. Uh, And it ended with him becoming one of five quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era to throw multiple pick sixes in a playoff game. So look, Joe always gives us something. And in the case of the Houston Texans, he gave them a lot. He was throwing some darts over the middle of the field early on. Like Joe, he, I thought we were getting playoff Joe early. 
And then the wheels. In so, but in some ways we were, right? Like, I, I he just, he goes out swinging. Um, the the defensive adjustments from Ryan's are, are interesting and obviously coaxing Flacco into some of those turnovers felt like the way that the Texans were going to be able to win this game on that side of the ball. Uh, just going back to the offense for Houston, Bobby Sloak certainly made his case. Uh, he has four requested interviews so far with Tennessee, Washington, Atlanta, Carolina. I mean, this is a pretty good way to to go out and add something to the resume that I figure would have those teams really taking notice. I, I saw a lot online that I wanted to ask you about that seemed really interesting about just the way that he uses the motions and the fakes to pull away from where the ball ends up going. And our Danny Heifetz was posting a bunch of clips of it where you can just see it where the entire flow of the defense is going one way and then the throw just goes somewhere else and there's absolutely no one around. What did you, I mean, where was, for a guy who was just in his bag, how is he making that happen? Yeah, I felt like that was the game plan. Take advantage of their aggressiveness. Like that's the Jim Schwartz approach to the defense. Fire up the field. We're playing one gap. We're not doing that like gap and a half, like Fangio stuff. We're we're getting upfield with Miles Garrett and Zay Smith and we're attacking. And he took advantage of that. He just, he sent a guy one way and the, the, the whole offense, you saw there were a couple of times where they would like throw a toss play and like the whole Browns front seven would go after. It. And I, right. I really felt like, that was by design. Like he was giving them these wins. Like he would also call like a, a basic inside zone play with no motion or anything. And Cleveland would tackle it for like a gain of one or maybe a tackle for loss. But I felt like he was tr just trying to almost placate Jim Schwartz and kind of like give him this false sense of, of success. So he would keep calling these plays where they're super aggressive. They played a lot of single high, a lot of cover one, a lot of, a lot of cover three, and he was just picking it apart. And I think, being able to kind of like shape the the windows and widen the zone windows was a, it made Stroud's day a lot easier. Not that he needed it. He was making throws without it, but that just, I think that's been the setup all year is Stroud has been so good that it's kind of hard to notice that he's in one of these offenses, the Shanahan offenses that makes playing quarterbacks so easy for other guys, more limited guys usually, but that was the case today. Like Sloak was so good in that regard. I thought he, outclass Jim Schwartz tonight. Anything else from Cleveland's defense? Because there was a whole thing with the home road splits, right? That at home this season, they allowed 13.8 points per game on the road, almost 30. I never quite know what to make of that stuff unless it's like a, a crowd noise thing. But do you have any thesis on if anything that was already visible in those splits was part of the problem? I mean, that would make sense. Like when you think about get off and like playing on the road versus at home, the defense and the pass rush especially has an advantage there. Like right. on the road, you don't have like the silent count happening. And that's when you can get a beat on like when the ball's getting snapped. And I think that might right. be the difference. That's anecdotal and it maybe it's too convenient of an explanation, but that makes the most sense. Yeah, it's interesting. So look. I think this still goes down as as a shockingly fun season for the Browns and for Browns fans. Uh, they are in a little bit of a strange situation now where 38-year-old Joe Flacco coming off his couch, obviously he goes out on a relatively low note, but he was the most effective quarterback for them this season. Uh, he said after the game that, you know, he wasn't sure if he would 
keep playing or anything and that it was all too early, but it seems seems unlikely. Um, it seems like Joe is probably going back to the couch. But yeah. what do you think happens next for Cleveland and how they proceed? Yeah, he's definitely going back to the couch. He took a couple hits in this game. Like he had one where he slid kind of late and they wanted a flag for roughing. Or I don't know what they would have called it, but he, he's not doing that again. He like Desmond King, like did a did a, a <laughs> twister move on his helmet. Yeah, it's bad. But like he reverted to old Joe Flacco in the second half. I felt like he was like, I'm just throwing the ball. I'm not taking a hit. Check down instantly. I'm not doing this anymore. But I don't know. I don't think this like convinces them that like Deshaun Watson can't be saved. I don't know. Like, I think you look at it and you're like, oh, we did this with Joe Flacco, a 38 year old Joe Flacco coming off the couch. We could do this with Deshaun Watson. Who's what, like 28 years old. And I thought Watson was playing better at the end before that injury. You started to see signs of him getting it. So I don't think it's going to complicate things too much. And then obviously like the financial commitment, you can't even get out of it. But obviously if you're a Browns fan, you would prefer this run to what even like Deshaun Watson making the same run is not going to be as fun as it is with Flacco because you have that dark cloud hanging over it at all times. I think you're right to say that the financial commitment is such that it's sort of, it's less of like, okay, where do like is there a decision that they have to make? But it's just, it is an added bit of pressure and it is an added piece of stress of, oh, if it's not going very well, they pulled Joe Flacco off the couch last year and it got better. And I mean, you know, the tiniest of violence, but it just, it, that, that continues to be a very complicated dynamic for a bunch of reasons. Uh, Houston more immediately is probably the Bills are obviously uh, favored in a big way against the Steelers and especially getting clear of the worst of the weather. I think that that favors Buffalo. Uh, if, if the Bills end up winning that game, the Texans are going to play the Ravens. That is a hard matchup. We just saw Houston look really, really dominant against a really good defense. Do you think, do they have a shot in that game? No. No, I maybe I'll <laughs> sound stupid when this gets flipped if they win, but I, I just don't think they do. We've seen this matchup before. I thought Stroud looked as good as a quarterback can making his first start against that defense on, on the road. But we've seen this defense go up better versions of this offense. Like we've seen it take out the 49ers. We've seen it take out the Dolphins. Baltimore doesn't have problems uh, defending motion. And right. like you said, that's a big that's part of the so offense. so critical. Yeah. And I, you're not going to get them in a script. And if like, even if you ha- you put Lamar in the same situation, you put Flacco in, like he's going to make plays. He's not going to make the same mistakes. He's not going to throw you interceptions that break open the game. Without those interceptions, this is a competitive game. So it, no, that's my short answer. Would, no. Would you think they'd have a shot against the Chiefs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you can make the argument they're on the same level as the Chiefs in terms of like how well they're playing at the moment. Uh, Yeah. I wouldn't pick them in that game, but I could see it happening, especially on the road. If they were at home, I could see them pulling an upset, but on the road, no. But they're ahead of schedule. Like this is all icing on the cake at this point. I mean, it was really so 
there was somebody and I'm I'm realizing that I put this in my notes and I didn't credit the person. So whoever tweeted this. Thank you. Uh, was putting together the list of players and results of the picks that Houston got in the Watson trade. And the running list is Will Anderson, Tank Dell, Kenyon Green, Christian Harris, Damian Pierce, John Mechie. There's a bunch of other guys, and then you've still got a first-round pick and a third-round pick coming. I mean, the future of this roster just looks so bright. I also think they deserve a lot of credit for, and in a season where because of the timeline of when they got hit with the injury bug, in a season that sort of took a dip and then got back on on course, they really stayed hungry for it. I mean, Derek Barnett was making plays in this game. That's a guy who they added on waivers late in the year. Howie. Got tiered hard that way. The Eagles could use some pass rush, Howie. The Eagles could <laughs> use some Derek Barnett. Right about now, I think. Uh, but it was Houston who who said a million bucks for Derek Derek Barnett. Don't mind if we do. And just in terms of the the roster building, which has been, you know, the thing. I mean, the coaching staff has done such a good job that it's it's you know you don't want to differentiate, but the roster construction has just just been superlative, and. I do think they deserve a lot of credit for for not stopping. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we want to be spending a ton of time talking about the things that Nick Casario learned from Bill Belichick, but that was always one of the principles that I think worked out that was sort of the best in New England was like, you're never done. You're never done building the roster. Um, and they've just, it's just a really impressive run and start of a run, no matter how long this this playoff run lasts. Um, and I do think no matter who they match up with, it should be an exciting game and we are still due for one. So at least we can hopefully count on that. Anything else from this game, anything we forgot from Chiefs dolphins before we were going to hit a couple little news items and then wrap this up before we, uh, get some sleep before tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Amari Cooper, after breaking the the Browns record in the first game, basically shut out in this one. I don't know if it was the ankle injury on his on his uh, early catch in the first quarter. He kind of went to the sideline nursing his ankle and then barely did anything after that. But uh, Derek Stingley Jr. was shadowing him. That was a, a switch from the regular season that we didn't really, right. really ever see during the season from Ryan's. Another uh, tip of the hat to him for that. And he shut down Amari Cooper. And... I thought they, after the early part of the game, they shut down David Njoku a little bit. They took away the explosives in the pass game. They took away Cooper. Like, they did everything that they didn't do in the first matchup. And to me, that's a sign of a good coach. D'Amico Ryan's like, he's my big winner on this night. I might give it to Slowick, but when you score 45 points, there can be more than one winner. Uh, another winner this week, Gerard Mayo, named... New England Patriots head coach. We talked about the uh, Belichick dismissal, mutual parting of ways, <laughs> cough firing. Uh, but that was before the Patriots very quickly elevated Mayo and named him their next head coach. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, not the most exciting hire. It would have been cool to see them go through like an interview process, but I think I don't have any problem with this. I 
I guess you can make the argument that like it's more of the same. And if you're going to move on from Bill, like what was the point of doing this? But Mayo is just as impressive as any of the other candidates outside of like the established guys who we know have a track record. And just from hearing him talk and like kind of how he approaches things in the locker room, like I, I think it's promising. There was a quote from him about diversity in the locker room. And for him, it was really about diversity of thought and like generational diversity. And I think that speaks to why the Patriots may have swapped out Belichick for Mayo, a younger guy who can relate with the locker room, all the stuff we were talking about in the midweek pod. I I want to see it happen. Like, I want to see what happens. I don't want to rush the judgment. We've said many times on this pod, like we don't know with these coaches. We really don't know, especially if they have no past experience coaching right. in that spot. I mean, it may have been a coach, not, you know, not a head coach. Yeah. Head coach, not a coordinator in title. He's been a coach for five years. So uh, he comes with a really, really, really good reputation as someone who connects with people, but he is relatively green. So there's sort of a a blank canvas in that way, even though he obviously is a continuation in some ways from the, the Belichick era. I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I think Maybe I would have liked to see them at least go through the process and just just yeah. talk to some more people, get a little bit of a wider net. I just I think there is um, there's a real insularity to that building. And to some degree, it's probably necessary just because they do do things in a very specific way. And it's hard to integrate people who don't have any familiarity with that into that system. But then at the same time. I don't know. In the NFL in 2024, I do want to be sure that I wouldn't be benefiting from. Do we want some voices from the Shanahan tree? Do we want some voices yeah. from, you know, different parts of the league who have sort of different information? You can even get that from interviews if you don't hire someone. Uh, the only other thing that I would raise as a concern is, did you read that Seth Wickersham piece about sort of the the end of the end of the Belichick era and how it all went down? I did not. I read okay, the you should read wrote, it. It's good. One. There's an anecdote about Gerard Mayo bringing a baseball bat into meetings and oh, just no. like, just like holding it and, and sort of like tapping it in his hand as a quasi authoritative gesture. And I think that's weird. He has a but bit. But everyone thing, loves yeah. him. He should do it on the sideline during games. I mean, maybe he'll make it his thing. I don't, I'm being mostly facetious because everyone I've ever spoken to who's been with the Patriots really truly thinks that he's a special guy. I also think it's really meaningful for the New England Patriots to have a black head coach is just like, it's, it's a meaningful thing in that region. I think it's a meaningful thing for that franchise, just given sort of the stature. Um, And he, you know, there are a lot of times when, Certain coaches don't get the leashes that other coaches do, and he should should. I think picking a bunch of nits is probably a silly thing to do at this point. Um, but I yeah. thought that was weird. I thought that was a weird anecdote. I, I was concerned about the up. report that that Josh McDaniel might be the leader in the clubhouse for OC. That's I think the biggest red flag. They just need to like they need to get out more. Like I don't understand what has happened with this team where it's just like. You can hire someone who didn't used to work for the Patriots. Watch other games. Like, have, what? Have, right. 
uh, presumably they watch film on the Dolphins. They have to prepare to play them too. They don't watch that offense and they're like, hey, why don't we do stuff like this instead of like watching the, the Raiders offense and going, let's do stuff like that. You know what? Let's bring Jakob Johnson back. <laughs> right. I, yeah. It's a, it's a confounding habit. Um, and I would love to see them break it. But I guess we'll find out. But here's, here's hoping that the Gerard Mayo era is successful. And here's hoping that he understands that you do not just have to hire former Patriots coaches. Um, Cause I think that would be for, that would be to everyone's benefit. All right, Stephen, we're going to be back here uh, in 24 hours. We are going to break down the rest of uh, of Sunday's wildcard games, although obviously Bill's Steelers having been moved to Monday will be covered on Extra Point Taken with Ben and Sheil. Anything you're looking forward to tomorrow? Not having to watch Mason Rudolph. Those Extra Point guys, lucky them, they get to have all the fun and talk about <laughs> Slow that clap. performance. Slow clap for Ben and Sheil. Uh, we are grateful to them. All right. This has been Dual Threat, first installment of uh, our Super Wild Card Weekend coverage. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Steven Ruiz. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing this episode. And thank you to Arjuna Ramkapal and Connor Evans for additional production supervision. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.